Game seven, eight seconds left, home team down by one. Oh, the home team strips the ball and the point guard is all alone. But it appears that there's a wet spot on the free throw line. The fans go silent. Their championship aspirations flash before their eyes. Wait, someone's running out on the court. Oh my, it's the towel boy. How did he clean it so fast? The point guard takes off and dunks the ball. Game over, the crowd erupts. Towel boy, towel boy. Hello, everyone, and thank you for that godly standing ovation. Welcome to another episode of the Towel Boys on this podcast, because the last podcast, we specifically broke down one series, the Heat versus the Bucks. We will be breaking down the other seven series, talking about each one specifically, what went right for the winning team, what went wrong for the losing team, and any other thoughts that we have. Landon, any other thoughts before we get started? No, just usually we've been doing um, half-hour pods, and we're going to get back to that after this, most likely. We just want to catch up with the playoffs so that we can start touching on stuff that's happening now. Absolutely. It's been a little bit hectic for both of us, but we're pushing through, and we have the NBA playoffs, which is more important than anything else in life. So let's jump right into the Eastern Conference, the 1 versus the 8 the Philadelphia 76ers against the Washington Wizards. So Landon, what are your initial thoughts on that playoff series? This is definitely a short conversation. Um, There's not too much to talk about here. The biggest storyline out of all of it to me was just Joel Embiid not being fully healthy. They said he had a partially torn meniscus in one of his knees, but he seems to be pushing through pretty, pretty well and still dominating even in this Hawks series, despite that ugly first game, he is just too much for even Clint Capella to handle. So I don't know. I Going back to that Wizards series, not too much interesting stuff happened. A lot of Robin Lopez hook shots, a lot of Russell Westbrook bad passes, and Bradley Beal, who knows what will happen with him. <laughs> it's, yeah. The Wizards are... <laughs> An interesting team, to say the least. A team with zero defense capabilities whatsoever. But looking at the 76ers, as important as the Embiid headline is, and that, that really will determine their season, I'm also looking at the other All-Stars, Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris has been really, really good. He's been an awesome, efficient scorer. He's always been a pretty good defender with the, the size, the length to get it done. He's been very important pretty much their second most important player outside of Embiid. And Ben Simmons, who, look, the the world is split on Ben Simmons. A lot of people are out for his head and don't think he's nearly as good as what he shows. Ben Simmons was, what, second this year in Defensive Player of the Year? So he, he was. was. He almost won that award. He's a great passer. But just like we see with Giannis and Pascal Siakam, when it comes to the playoffs and their games don't translate very well, Simmons can't really score on his own, and he has not been able to drive as effectively as he has in the regular season. And really, the Sixers have been depending on Tobias Harris a lot because of that. Yeah, the whole Simmons thing. I mean, I've been out on him in terms of a top-tier guy for a while, but what people are trying to do is make him appear 
to be awesome because of one series against the Wizards. And I'm not falling for that trap personally because when you hit the playoffs, like you were saying, Ben Simmons cannot score by himself. And it's tough to have a whole max slot allocated to a guy that can't score in isolation, especially when your only perimeter shot creator is Tobias Harris, who has also repeatedly sunk in the playoffs. So you you hit this crossroads where it's like, if they get outed in the second round or even the Eastern Conference Finals this year, can you really hold on to Ben Simmons again? I, I just don't see it, and I haven't seen it for a while. Right. It's it's a very similar argument that people have made, to be honest. Simmons is 6'11". You look at his stats, as you said, Landon, in the last podcast, just like looking at Giannis' stats, they're efficient. He puts up the numbers, but against a Washington Wizards team that cannot guard anybody exactly so you really have to take those stats with a grain of salt specifically the scoring even with the hawks they don't really have a simmons guy to like but when he goes against the brooklyn nets or the milwaukee bucks in the next round i guarantee you he's not averaging more than eight or nine points a game because who's no, he man. To score against no because if you're putting Giannis like man to man on him and then you have lopez and drop that's just an ugly recipe for simmons to to get involved whatsoever because if you put the ball in his hands, if you try to run a pick and roll, Lopez can literally drop all the way to the rim because Simmons isn't a pull-up threat even from you know eight feet out. It's I, I don't love that team construction. I haven't for a while. Don't make assumptions about Ben Simmons based on that first-round series. Even though he was dominant and had, what, like an, a 15-assist game at some point, it doesn't mean anything against a team where you have to put like Russell Westbrook on Ben Simmons. It's just useless. Not valid information. Right. But credit Tobias Harris and the rest of that team for showing up, winning in five games, taking care of business against a team that, that I mean, sure, they deserve to be in the playoffs, but they're not a very good playoff team at all. <laughs> no. But, but yeah, so good for the Sixers. In terms of the Wizards, like you said, the big question is Bradley Beal. Does he want to stay on this team? Sure, they they went on a great second half of the year run. They made the playoffs. Whoop-de-doo. Awesome. Let's have a tea party. So what? You're losing five to the Sixers. You're nowhere near the top of the East. And there's not really one or two players that can fix this situation. You have two guys on max deals. Westbrook's contract is insane. You had to trade John Wall for him. Basically a swap of horrible contracts. And the rest of your team can't really shoot and can't play defense. So what do the Wizards do? I don't know. So I will add in that w the Wizards won that trade because Westbrook was yes, far superior Absolutely. to Wall. Um, that was a big win for them. And that big win resulted in a 4-1 to one loss against a team with an exactly. unhealthy MVP candidate. Right. Uh, let's mention Thomas Bryant because he tore his ACL in a game way earlier this year, maybe January. And... Without him, they really did not have a versatile center. I'm not saying Thomas Bryant is an all-world defender, but he's a lot quicker than Robin Lopez, for instance. Um, right. With that being said, I think the avenue for the Wizards now is see what Bradley Beal demands, if anything. If he finally asks out, you trade him for a package of – you need at least one young stud in that package and then all the picks you want. And then if that is to happen – you trade Russell Westbrook for another bad contract, in my opinion, for instance, Kemba Walker, 
and you try to get assets in return. So like Kemba Walker plus two first round picks for Russell Westbrook, something along those lines. Right. It's just, I, the Wizards are in a situation where, in my opinion, whether they have Westbrook without Beal, Beal without Westbrook, both of them, not neither of them, because that team would be horrible. But really, in any scenario, if you take one of them away, I don't think the team gets much better or worse. Westbrook is one of the all-time greatest floor raisers. He's not yep. going to be on a team that's going to win 20 games. We saw Beal last year with the same team without Wall, and they were, what, about a little bit under 500? They're okay. They're kind of competitive. They can score a lot. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't seem like this backcourt put together is suddenly going to, to save the world. It's not going to happen. So it is time to move on if you're the Wizards. It's been time for a year or two. They still don't want to. I get it. Bradley Beal is the best player to play here in a very long time. But at some point, you have to say, let's get as many assets as we can and move on. Because being 500 for so long, like it only goes so far. Sure, you're competitive, but you're not making Bradley Beal any happier by not winning more games. And pretty soon, he's going to have the option to leave where you can't get assets for him. Right. And let's do Sixers predictions as of now. They lost game one to the Hawks. They won game two. I predict them to get past the Hawks, and I assume they will play the Brooklyn Nets and lose in four or five. I don't think that would go long at all. My predict my prediction is based on Embiid's health. I well, of course, yeah. I've said for a while, for years now, I would always take Jokic over Embiid because of injuries concerns, and of course that's valid, but especially in the playoffs. I don't know if I can predict the Sixers to win a series when Embiid's already been diagnosed with a pretty serious knee injury that's at least nagging at him. I don't know what he's going. He's banging against a pretty good center in Capella, the big body. Like, he's not afraid to use it. Embiid's going to get hit a lot this series. I'm going to take the Hawks right now because I don't know wow. if Embiid's going to be healthy. I really like how Trey Young's playing. This team is confident. They have a little bit of cockiness. Nate McMillan's doing a great job. I think the Hawks are going to win this series. Give me the Hawks in six. I will say Embiid went for 40-13-2 last game and shot 40% from three. So I don't know if he really is getting bothered by this injury, but if he is, he's not showing it yet. It just concerns me. But he's been That's great fair. both games. He had 39 and then 40. Right. But they lost game one when he had 39. Right. Um, all right. On to... Brooklyn yep. Celtics. Um, this is another one that we don't need to spend a lot of time on. Although I guess we did end up rambling for nine minutes about the last one. Um, I can sum this one up in about one sentence if you want. Please do. Please do. The Nets are the best team in basketball, and the Celtics are not a good basketball team without Jalen Brown and other injuries. That's facts for sure. Um, That's I that. can't argue with that. So instead of talking about the series too much, let's just go into the future for each team specifically Boston, they are in a very tough spot. This year was brutal for them. They were they went to the Easter Conference Finals last year. They came out this year and could not score, and their defense dropped off too. That put them in a very tough spot, and until Tatum really turned the corner and started playing like he did in the second half of the 2020 season, um, the 2019-2020 season, they were really in a rough spot. Now, with that being said, they do have some moves to make, whether that's packaging Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart together to get a guy like Dame, 
or Brad Beal, something along those lines, whether they decide just to trade Marcus Smart and get in a better scorer, if they decide to flip Kemba Walker for another bad contract like Chris Stapps Porzingis, yep. they're in a rough cap, uh, rough cap sheet spot, but there are some moves to be made. Yeah, you actually stole what I was going to say. I think if you're the Celtics, best case scenario is Kemba and two firsts for Porzingis because that solves their center issue. They can play Porzingis at the five. It's also a stretch center that gives their ISO-heavy guys lots, lots of room to to go one-on-one. You have Tatum, you have Brown. Smart can do it from time to time with the right matchups. Having Porzingis out there gives them a lot of flexibility. He's only 25. That would be ideal. However, I, I don't think the Mavericks yeah. would do that. <laughs> well, I was going to say, I don't think... I think the Mavericks would totally do that. But I don't think they would. the Celtics would even have to give up two firsts because based on what you hear from a lot of news sources, Chris Stapps and Kemba were the two like most shopped players this entire season. It should be relatively easy to give them up for each other. And given that Chris Stapps is essentially just as bad on defense as Kemba for you know opposite reasons, Chris Stapps is a lumbering guy and Kemba's tiny, um, it shouldn't be that difficult to make that trade for either side. I think if you're Boston, you have to include maybe Pritchard, maybe one first, maybe even like a top 20 protected first, similar to like that Westbrook wall flip where a first went um, alongside wall, I believe. So, you know, I, I think they could get something like that done and Chris Stapps fits a lot better, like you said. It's... There's a six-year age gap between Kemba and Porzingis, and Kemba's contract is about $6 million more. I do think saying a first-round pick and Peyton Pritchard, who's been a successful rookie, is pretty similar to saying two first-round picks. Once you have a guy, regardless of where you draft him, if he's playing like a top 15 pick, which really was what Peyton Pritchard was doing at times, that's pretty much a first-round pick in my mind. Yeah, so, no, totally. I agree. I'm just saying, like, I think they only have to give up one asset because the Mavs were looking to move Porzingis, possibly even more than the Celtics were looking to move Kemba. Sure. I, I, I don't know. Something about, like, right now, if I told you, take one of these players, Kemba or Porzingis, who are you taking? Neither. <laughs> I, I would take Porzingis really without hesitation. I don't think it's even close. The six-year age difference for me is big because if the Celtics figure out Porzingis and he can become a really effective third option, which is really what he should be, the Celtics Kemba, could easily go to the finals with that team. I think Kemba had a bigger impact on the playoffs this season than Porzingis did. He did, and that's partly because Porzingis was horrible, also partly because Luka <laughs> exactly. took every shot. So no, but I don't he, know. No, Luca did not take every shot. He's one of the best facilitators in the game. Chris Stapps had his opportunities. He's just not that good. He's really not. And I'm not saying Kemba's amazing, but Kemba impacted that Nets Celtics series just significantly more than Chris Stapps did with that Mavs series. Sure. All right. I respect your opinion on this one, surprisingly. Um, neither so that, player Nets is win the really championship? The... I don't think they're going to lose more than... I don't even know if they'll lose two games in any series. Is that crazy? No, it's not crazy. I mean, I, I think they're going to win 
this series in five, whoever they play next in four or five, and then win the finals in four or five. I, I don't think anything goes six. Everybody said that the Nets Bucks series was, you know, essentially the NBA finals in their minds because those were the best two teams in basketball before, you know, we saw the Suns take off like this and before we saw the Bucks just crumble. Um, but with that being said, I still think the Bucks are really good. And I think the Nets are that much better than a really good team. My, my final, my final statement on the Nets, if they have Bruce Brown, Mike James, Landry Shamit, Nick Claxton, those guys playing out playing other role players who are better. They're going to, they're not going to lose another game the rest of the year because those guys playing that well, with KD and Kyrie playing at a high level because they always will. And if James Harden comes back, good night. It's over. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, they don't even need Harden to apparently no. beat the Bucs. It's crazy. And look, I I mean, I really think the Bucs are at least as good as Phoenix and Utah and all those teams. So, yeah, I, yeah this is pretty much wraps, assuming there are at least two stars on the Nets that are healthy. Yeah. Uh, All right. Moving last, on. No, last oh, thing. Go ahead. Is, go is Kevin Durant the best player in basketball right now? Right now, as in, as in the you know the last two weeks and the upcoming two weeks. I think LeBron's hurt. So if I'm taking it, that into account, then absolutely, it's not even close. Kevin Durant looks like he's taking this Giannis matchup personally, and he is kicking his butt. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, Durant's even been guarding Brooke Lopez, and Lopez hasn't been able to do anything in the post on him. So it's hard to argue that Durant isn't the best player. The only guy that I think, at least in the playoffs, because like you said, LeBron's out and um, Steph is out. The only guy who can really, you can argue that he is at that level is Kawhi. And people don't want to hear it at all. And I'm sorry, but Kawhi has the efficiency of Durant. He is better on defense. And I, I just don't see why he wouldn't be in the conversation for you unless you're, you know, just a big LeBron guy and you hate that he went to LeBron City. Yeah, no, it's it's fair. It's it's close. Just with how good the Nets are playing and how efficient Durant's been, got to go with him for now. But that'd be a great finals, Clippers-Nets. Totally. All right, so we will skip the Heat Bucks because we already had a podcast. The last podcast, if you haven't heard, go check it out on that specific series. Moving on to the Hawks versus Knicks, a series that, Landon, you got right and I got wrong. Tell me why you got it right. Well, I I got Hawks in five from the very outset, and I was shocked to find that only three out of 18 ESPN analysts picked the Hawks to win that series. A lot of them had Knicks and six or whatever. It wasn't even close in my mind. The Hawks have so much talent. Their team is so well put together. They have shooting. They have defense. Their pieces match really well. Capella makes up for a lot of Trey Young's deficits and defense. And Trey Young can set Capella up. He can play with a big man on the inside because of his floater game. John Collins is a a stretch four that can also make some tremendous blocks and protect the rim a little bit, despite not being a great one-on-one defender. Bogdanovich has taken off recently, and they've done this without DeAndre Hunter, who was just announced to be out for the year. So 
I just can't believe how few people picked the Hawks in that series. <laughs> it, it really, yeah. I it, This is a weird one because I totally got this wrong, and I'm going to admit that. But look, the Hawks, I've always said, are more talented. But I really thought the Knicks defense, being led by who I thought was going to be the best player in the series and Julius Randle, would really make all the difference in the world. But even though DeAndre Hunter is out for the playoffs, he sure did his damn job against the Knicks. DeAndre Hunter was amazing matched up against Julius Randle, who I don't know if it was the Hawks defense or Randle feeling the pressure. He was so bad in that series that yeah. Julius Randle single-handedly gave, cost the Knicks any chance of winning that series. If your best player is playing as bad as he did, you're not going to win, especially when you have a lack of offense in the first place. So while the Hawks were really good and are more talented, the Knicks also played horribly. So here's the thing about teams that don't technically have a lot of shooting because even though the Knicks were second in three-point shooting this year, it was because they didn't take that many attempts and because they only took good attempts because, I mean, a lot of their guys want to get the ball inside. So a lot of times teams that don't actually have shooters but shoot well during – the regular season regress and a good differing point on this would be to look at the Lakers last season. They actually didn't have shooters and they progressed in the playoffs. Their shooters started shooting way above their regular season clip. A lot of that might be attributed to the bubble because shooting percentages were up around the league. This year looks more like a regular year and that, you know, that Derek Rose, RJ Barrett, Julius Randle, while these guys can hit shots, they are not shooters. And when you have that many guys on the court that can't make three-point shots, it's really going to clog the lane, which it did. Right. Just to read off this this fun stat, Julius Randle in the first three games was 13 for 54. <laughs> 13 of 54 shooting. That is less than 25%. Right. That is inexcusable. And that cost him $10 million in a contract extension each oh, year. Oh, for sure. Maybe more. He was a max player if he played well in this series. Yeah. Not anymore. But that's the kind of thing. Imagine if the Knicks like didn't make the playoffs and then they maxed Julius Randle without knowing what would have happened in the playoffs. Like, yeah. It is Crazy. very useful for that franchise that they made it like they did and Definitely. saw that he struggled because they – his market value will be depressed and they are in better shape to sign other guys that can make him a second or a third option. Absolutely. And let me flip the, the script a little bit talking about the Hawks. I have gained a lot of respect for Trey Young. Yeah. In the first yeah. was it seven games for the Hawks. He's pushing top 15. He really is. He has been an unbelievable playmaker, as he always has. He's still drawing contact, which I thought officials were not going to give him. He has really opened up scoring-wise. He's He was a little bit hesitant. People were saying, why isn't Trey Young taking more threes in the regular season? Well, he's doing it now. And he's become this villain that the NBA doesn't really have right now. Like, the Knicks, Knicks fans hate him. And New York being in the playoffs was amazing for basketball. And now New York having enemy number one is amazing for basketball. Agreed. And now he's going to annoy and upset this, maybe a top three or four biggest fan base in Philly next. 
which is going to be amazing because I cannot wait till Atlanta wins a game at home and he, him and Embiid start jawing. It's going to be amazing. But I have a lot of respect for Trey Young for what he's doing now, representing the city of Atlanta. He has a really good team around him, but he's playing exceptional basketball. He was not on my top 20, maybe 25 before these these playoffs. He, he probably hovered between like 20 and 23. He is now in like the 13 to 15 range alongside like Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker. He is that good. He is carrying this franchise to places that were just completely unexpected, especially given the start they had to this year, which was subpar to say the least. Absolutely. I was actually going to ask Trey Young or Devin Booker, who would you it's want? It's tight. It's tight. I would take Devin still, but it's tight. It is. He is certainly made up ground. I I had Jaw over Trey, and I think based on the playoffs, even though Jaw's been amazing, I think I'm, I'm flipping it and taking Trey. I agree. I completely so, agree. He's been awesome. So, we done with this series? Knicks or uh, do? Well, let's talk about the future for yeah. the Knicks. Um, so... I personally think that they can get somebody this summer with a big name. I'm not going to say that they're going to be that good, but DeRozan and Westbrook and, I mean, I guess Dame could be on that list. They could throw together a nice package. Um, I think they'll end up with somebody. I don't think they'll be a top three team in the East next year, but I could see them getting another four or five seed. Do you give up the whole farm for Damian Lillard? That being Barrett, Toppin, quickly picks. I would because you want to strike now while the iron's hot, right? I mean, that fan base is ready to explode. And if you had a guy like Dame, even if it's a lateral move, as in you end up another four seed and you don't get better per se, which they you're going to start generating the hype that you need to go out and convince somebody else to come and join those guys. They have a lot of money. If they get Dame, they still have room for Exactly. They may have room for another. I think they have two max slots. So I believe they do. So So imagine getting Dame and then also paying DeMar DeRozan $20 million, $22 million. Then you getting, have Dame, DeRozan, right. and Randall. Getting D-Rose to re-sign too. Right. Yeah. I think that's a given at this point. He loves it there. They love him. So, so that, that's a damn good team. I mean, look, people don't love DeMar DeRozan. His offensive numbers are essentially the same as Jimmy Butler's. He doesn't shoot threes, and he doesn't play the defense that Jimmy plays or affect the game in such a winning way. But in terms of just straight output, he's a very similar player on the offensive end. So you add that alongside Randall, who improved drastically on defense this year, can now take the last shot in a game, maybe not a playoff game, but in a regular season game, (laughs) and you can feel confident about it. And then you throw Dame Lillard on there, who's got the personality that Knicks fans would just adore. That would be a great team and a great thing for that city. And it's not another Portland where Dame has a a running mate, a backcourt running mate that can't play defense and they can't do anything about it. You have Dame and DeRozan who can't really guard, but you have Tom Thibodeau, who's one of the best defensive minds in basketball. So I think it works. That would be a really good team. Yep. And then we already talked about the Sixers progression in the playoffs which is you know directly related to the hawks um but once again i'll just state that unless mb gets injured i still think the sixers win this series right they, they have still have more talent and 
Embiid's the best player in that series, without a doubt. But we'll see. It would be really interesting for the Hawks if they made the East Finals. That would be a great, great season for them. It would. It really would because they invested a ton into the players that they have now, and they invested a lot into Trey. They picked him over Luka. And look, I mean, if they make the Eastern Conference Finals this early, that's a big payoff. It really is. So let's move on to the Western Conference, if you're ready. We have the Jazz against my Memphis Grizzlies, who I've practically adopted as my second team. That's true. Because I love John Morant, and I really like the core they have. Taylor Jenkins is a really good coach. What happened in that series? They won game one, and then the Jazz came storming back. So I tweeted out from the Towel Boys account that the Grizzlies are on par with the Jazz if Mitchell is not playing. I tweeted that before game one, and some some guy disputed that and said that the Grizzlies are nowhere close to the Jazz, even without Mitchell. Behold, the Grizzlies take game one, at which point, like I believe Kendrick Perkins tweeted out that the Grizzlies would take the series. I was not going that far. I still thought the Jazz would win in five or six. Point being... The Grizzlies were utterly impressive in this series because of Dylan Brooks's just takeoff, Jaw's ascension. If Jaron Jackson Jr. was healthy, they could have given the Jazz a little bit more of a run. And Valanciunas, man, he is underrated. He is a phenomenal center who can stretch the floor if he wants to. He's one of the biggest bruisers in the game. He'll just go right into your chest when he's trying to post up, throw elbows and everything. He's tough to rebound against. He's just phenomenal. And then, I mean, you can speak more on the other pieces they have, Kyle Anderson and whatever, but despite the Jazz winning that series, and we'll talk about them in a moment, I just want to give the Grizzlies a ton of props. I, as I've said before, am in love with this Grizzlies team, and I don't care about talking too much about the actual series, although I will say that Dylan Brooks was amazing. Kyle Anderson was really good. Valanchunas, like you said, is a bruiser, and, and Jaws, obviously, the future. But jo- Jonas Valanchunas is getting paid $15 million this year, and that is the highest salary on the team. That's they crazy. have only three guys getting paid more than $10 million. Jonas Valanchunas, Justice Winslow, who after th- this next year, they're going to decline the team option, he'll be gone, and Dylan Brooks making 11 and a half. So they have so much potential Next year, they pretty much have a max slot going into this year where they can really get somebody. And they have a lot of breathing room and just they have a lot of flexibility of going blank on the word to, to do whatever they want after next year. They only have four or five guys on their roster. They can do whatever they want. So the Grizzlies are really going to have one more year to really evaluate um, who stepped up in the playoffs and to see whether that's actual progression or just a short-term um, increase in play. So they have a lot of room, a really good coach, a leader. This team could get really good really quickly. Yeah, they totally could. But they did not win the series. They only won one game. So let's talk about the team that just beat the Clippers in game one of a very, very important series to determine Kawhi Leonard's future potentially. Um, Let's discuss the Utah Jazz and Rudy Gobert's just utter dominance on defense. And 
Donovan Mitchell's, I mean, he is one of the best playoff players in the league. Like he is on the level of guys like Giannis and, and I don't know, Harden in the playoffs. He just is, he's more clutch than Harden. He can create his shot way better than Giannis. He can do just about everything, and he's not bad on defense either. So it's not like the Trey Young debate where you're talking about one side of the ball. This guy is a two-way player. He has Dwayne Wade literally coaching him from the sidelines. I, I just – I love Mitchell. I mean, he he is – I would pick him over Booker. You were just texting me the other day about it. I, yeah. Mitchell, Mitchell is just a phenomenal performer in big situations. Absolutely. So is Booker. It's really close. Um, as we've talked about, but yeah, Mitchell, I think is, I think I trust him as a three point cheater a little bit more. He's a little bit more explosive, uh, less technical in form. Like Booker is Booker is just, he looks smooth and Mitchell's more of this explosive jaw. Agreed. Wade like guy. And I love the passion he plays with. He's an incredible player. Him and Gobert are really good leaders for this team. And this is just a very well put together team led by a very good coach in Quinn Snyder, who's still tremendously underrated and they really should be competing for a trip to the NBA finals this year. Losing this series would not be good. This is a series that the jazz need to win, especially with how much money they gave Gobert. But yeah, they, Mike Conley, sure. Mike Conley's an all-star this year and he's an awesome player. Having but, Boyan back is huge. Well, let's, Let's talk about Mike real quick because he missed game one and just got ruled out for game two in the upcoming right. series. So that's yeah. going to be tough. I think he'll be back soon. I hope but so. I hope so. I think if they lost game one, he would have played this game. But I think that he'll be back by game three or four. Um, When they really need him, he'll be back. But that that is a big blow, not having somebody who is an awesome pick-and-roll guy with Gobert. They just oh, have enough guys sure. to get it done. They don't need that much depth. They, they play seven or eight guys, and they get it done. Right. All right, you can continue. My bad. No, 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 go ahead. No, no, I, I was just saying, like, we had to bring up the Conley injury because it's a big deal. But you were talking about Clarkson, and you were going yeah, on. Just so having Boyan back and Clarkson, Ingles, guys who maybe a little bit less on Jordan Clarkson, but guys who have been around, been around the block, know what they're doing know how to play veteran basketball, smart basketball. Clarkson is a volume shooter who's been pretty impressive these playoffs as he has been all year. It's just a good team that plays defense, that's bought into the system, led by somebody really clutching Donovan Mitchell. They they should they should and can beat any team not named the Brooklyn Nets in the league right now. And their their record showed it. They were number 1 in the West, they were number 1 in the league. I agree. And let's discuss the Bogdanovich thing because he missed the bubble last season. And if you add him into the mix, they probably take down the Nuggets. And given that they lost that series on a game seven missed three pointer. um, Let's talk about the fact that when you add a guy who can stretch the floor like he can, who can play solid defense and create for his teammates at times, you are talking about adding someone who is a difference maker, and you've seen it so far in these playoffs against the Clippers last night, or the other night even. He is just smoking people on the quick trigger threes. I think that the Jazz could have given the Lakers a tough time in the playoffs last year. 
Right. The the Jazz are built where everybody has kind of insulted and, and taken shots at Rudy Gobert and his lack of offense when he's really just a roller and a, and a dunker. He can't really generate anything for himself. But think about who he's setting picks for. Mike Conley when he's healthy. Boyan, Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell. All five of those guys are very much capable of making plays off the dribble, shooting, passing into Gobert. This is a really smart team that has smart individual basketball players buying into a system with good passing abilities. So it doesn't seem to be that important that Gobert can't do anything because if you can spread, pretty much anybody who plays around Gobert can shoot. So the system they have going fits Gobert really well, which is why he's been so effective and is able to stay on the court all the time. And he is now a three-time defensive player of the year for it. Absolutely. Now, I just want to touch on Donovan Mitchell one last time because he can create space for step-back jumpers to blow by guys for anything he wants to do on the offensive end without a pick. Like, he is one of those special players that can just blow by you out of sheer quickness and handles and speed. And that is special given his ability to finish. You see those scoop shots where he's moving like 20 miles per hour and just flips it up over the big. Nobody can do that. Like that is special. That's like Steph Curry level finishing. And you add that to his ability to hit those step back threes in clutch moments and to take those pull up mid range jumpers. Like you said, it's not smooth. Everything with him is jagged and like quick. Him and Booker are kind of opposites in that way. But what it is, is it throws the defense off balance, allowing him to get into the lane to confuse people and then kick out the shooters if he wants to. This is one of the best playoff performers in the league. He just is. He's probably top six playoff guy at this point. He's done this for years. He literally took his team as a rookie past the Oklahoma City Thunder with Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and Carmelo Anthony. He is just a special, special player. Couldn't agree more. I love Donovan Mitchell, as do you. And he's going to be amazing for the next decade. For sure. I can't wait to watch him and Booker battle it out in the West for a while. That is gonna; Those are going to make for some spectacular series. And speaking of Devin Booker, it is time for what I thought was the most interesting series in the first round. Of course, it's unfair. It's the Lakers. But Suns-Lakers. The Los Angeles Lakers, the defending champions led by LeBron James, went down in six games to the Phoenix Suns, something that most people would have laughed at if you told them before the series started. But here we are with an incredibly good Phoenix Suns team, an incredibly underrated Phoenix Suns team, led by, in my opinion, should have been coach of the year, Monty Williams, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and a lot of other really good role players. So Landon, What went right for Phoenix in that series? So the biggest thing that went right for Phoenix is that Anthony Davis got injured. And I'm not saying the Lakers would have won that series if AD was healthy. I've seen a lot of takes that say that, you know, that promote that idea that Anthony Davis was the only thing holding the Lakers back from winning. And I, I agree to an extent but I also think Phoenix has the playoff atmosphere, has the perfect team build to compete with anybody at a high level. So even if Davis was healthy, 
I don't know that the Lakers would have won that series, but that was the biggest deciding factor in those set, or six games. Definitely. Anthony Davis is such a two-way guy. The Lakers really rely on him a lot. I know it's LeBron James, but it's really those two guys. And Dennis Schroeder, as we saw, absolutely collapsed <laughs> near the end of the season. He's a guy that probably won't be back unless he signs at least 15 max, which is what he's on now, $15 million. He'll be back probably for the reason of the, the Lakers don't have a lot of flexibility and you need to sign him like as a over the cap team in order to trade yeah. his contract in the future. But that's very right. technical stuff. Right. And I don't know. I, I think Montrezl Harrell is going to decline his player and, and go somewhere else because he clearly didn't play much. So they're in a weird state, but of course they rely on LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Losing one of those guys is huge. And even before Anthony Davis was, was gone, we saw game one, DeAndre Ayton was amazing against him. So, like you said, while we should say that was probably the best thing that happened to Phoenix, they also played really good basketball. Big time. By really everybody. Chris Paul was injured, still was effective in the minutes he played. Devin Booker was the MVP of the series. I think you'd agree, unquestionably. He was amazing. For sure. Especially in game six to close it out. He was on fire. An incredible scorer. Really good leader. A guy that the rest of his teammates like and respect. Similar to Donovan Mitchell. They're important traits, really undervalued traits. If you respect your leader, you fight harder for them. Jay Crowder, hard-nosed guy. DeAndre Ayton, up-and-coming center, who was really effective against Anthony Davis. Mikael Bridges, who we both really like. He's a 3 and D guy. They have a lot of pieces, really good coaching. A tremendous backcourt. Maybe the best healthy backcourt in the league. Obviously, Steph and Clay are probably number one. But yeah, they were amazing. And they deserved this series win, with or without Anthony Davis. And... As of now, they're my they're my pick for the finals. Yeah, they're also my pick for the finals for all the reasons you just said. The Jay Crowder piece, people talk about it a lot because he makes himself known on the court. He is very flashy from three. He falls down every time he takes a shot. He honestly yep. gets a good amount of those calls. And he is always looking to enforce whether that's backing up his teammates, whether that's he gets an elbow thrown to his head and he, instead of you know taking it and walking away, he's ready to square up with the biggest guy on the court. He is a championship-level role player, and those are really special to find. We saw it with Miami last year. Even when he's not making shots, and he can have some tough games, he could go one for 11 from three because he just jacks shots. Sometimes he'll go six of nine. With him, his value is in what a lot of guys won't do, which is step up to, to the players on the other team and just give a ton of confidence to his own team by being such a menace on the court. Definitely. Yeah, I, I, I'm still in shock. This is kind of separate. I'm just in shock that LeBron went down in the first round, aren't you? Because this is yeah. something we don't see very often. And no, I want to touch very I, briefly. I don't on, think he's ever lost in the first round. He hasn't. And that's, I want to touch very briefly. People are trashing LeBron. Sure. Say what you want. I personally think he was hurt regardless of whether he was hurt or not. The fact that this was the first time LeBron James has lost in the first round after pretty much making every single playoff series, besides the one of his first year in the Lakers when he was hurt half the year, 
since what? What his second year? Two thousand five, six. That is unbelievable. That is an incredible feat by arguably the best player of all time. And while I think he'll be back and better, not better than ever, but I think he will be back and way better than we saw this postseason next year. Still have to take a moment, recognize his greatness, and really just applaud him for everything he's done for the league. And if, like you referenced in one of your tweets, as the towel boy count landed, if this really is the passing of the baton, giving it to guys like Mitchell and and Booker and Luca, like it's 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 a very good time to transition, especially losing to for LeBron, one of his best friends, and Chris Paul, who really deserves a ring. It's hard to argue that Luca is not the next LeBron because he is doing very LeBron things at his age. Definitely. And and instead of the explosion that young LeBron had, he has a little bit more shooting. But in terms of the playmaking and the vision and the will to win and propel bad teams to good playoff series, Luca has all of that. He is very representative of the kind of legacy player that you expect to become like a top 10 guy all time. And that's the real baton pass to me. The Nets are throwing a wrench in it a little bit because they assembled this team of, you know, guys from our generation growing up who are probably going to win the title. But if it weren't for them, Booker, Mitchell, um, Luca, Ja, all these young players that are ascending – they would be the ones taking the reins this year of the NBA as a whole. Absolutely. Giannis too. Giannis too. He's he's in that group and Jokic, both yeah. of them. Right. Yeah. No, this is this was a crazy series. I am sad to see LeBron not in the playoffs going forward, but also I I do really enjoy watching this Phoenix Suns team playing. And let's move on to who they're playing right now the Denver Nuggets, and talk about that first-round series. So the Denver Nuggets beat the Blazers in six. And no Jamal Murray, the big headline. Yet it didn't matter. Um, Personally, for me, I think this series said more about the Portland Trailblazers than it it does about the Denver Nuggets because this Portland team is way too talented to lose in six to a Denver team without their second-best player. But Landon... What are your thoughts on the state of Portland? Of course, there's all these damn rumors. What do you think they should do? And what do you think will happen? So it all depends on what you can get back for CJ. If you can't get substantial stuff back for CJ, then you're probably best. Or sorry, let me let me rephrase that. If you can't get a win now move in return for CJ, then you're probably best off hoping that Dame requests a trade and getting all that over with. If you can get back a difference maker for CJ, I like a swap almost, I don't know, a Tobias Harris or somebody like that who is on a good team, but you know they, they are over it and they want to switch it just like you do. That's the only way that I see them retaining dame's confidence at least i'm not saying he'll leave immediately after that move is made but uh or that move isn't made excuse me but uh, if i were the blazers and i couldn't get that win now piece to you know in exchange for cj i would really be hoping that it's it's tank time 
Damian Lillard is making an arm and a leg starting next year. 44 rounding up, $44 million next year. By 24-25, the last year of his new contract, 2024-2025, he's making $54 million. That is a lot of money to pay somebody when you are not competitive. And losing in the first round to a team without their second-best player, in my opinion, is the definition of not competitive. (laughs) I don't know where they would go from here because last year their issue was they had no interior defense or perimeter defense, and LeBron and Anthony Davis absolutely cooked them. So they go out and get Robert Covington, who's a very good individual defender, and Norman Powell in a Gary Trent swap to have a bigger body who can switch and also play defense. And it didn't seem to make any difference at all. They were still giving up way too many points and still have the same issue where their backcourt can't guard anybody. And even though Damian Lillard is one of the, if not the greatest shot late game shot makers of all time, it doesn't matter because in my opinion, CJ McCollum is not a good fit next to him. I've said this for years. I think I thought they should have traded him for a big like Vooch, where even though he wouldn't even help their defense, at least it's adding a different offensive position that gives Dame more space. This right. team doesn't work together. CJ and Dame don't work together. And I don't think that they can swap CJ for a player anywhere in the realm of CJ's talent that can help them win. They, they need more. and So I think it's time to blow it up. So here's a question I posed on Twitter, and I'm interested to hear your take on it. If you swapped Nurkic and DeAndre Ayton, in the playoffs this year, what would be the fate of the Blazers and the Suns? And which team would be better? Is that where the difference is between the two backcourts with, you know, really good players? I I think it's one difference. First of all, let me answer the question. I think DeAndre Ayton at this point is better than Yusuf Nurkic, and I don't really think it's that close. It's a bigger body. Agreed. It's a better shot blocker, a way better rebounder. Just more athletic, younger, hungrier. And so that's that's the point of the question. Like, yeah, like that's is one. Phoenix's so Phoenix and the Blazers have a very talented backcourts. Damian Lillard is probably the best player out of the four. CJ is the worst. The Suns have the middle two. It's up for debate, but Dame is like a serious MVP candidate. Um yeah. so with that being said. If you kind of like average their talents, the Blazers probably have a little less talented backcourt because CJ is so much worse than the other three, in my opinion. But it's still close. So is the difference there just the fact that DeAndre Ayton can have takeover games? No, I don't think that's the only difference. I think you have to Not take the only the- difference. Is that the big difference? Well, I, I personally think that I think there's three that really contribute, and I don't know if that's the biggest one. That's definitely one. But another really big one is Monty Williams versus Terry Stotts. I think that's a huge difference in coaching abilities. Monty Williams is an unbelievable coach. I really think he should have won Coach of the Year. He's done a tremendous job coaching guys. They buy into his system, and it just seems like the Blazers are kind of doing what they want on offense. And Terry Stotts is a player's coach. He has a lot of respect around the league. But I don't don't think he's scheming up any – crazy game plans that are winning them games so that's one two Aiton Nurkic three I really like the Suns supporting cast and I think it is significantly better on both sides of the court than the Blazers I I agree with the last two the whole coach you know I'm not a big proponent of coaching mattering that much so I I personally wouldn't consider that 
much, but of course, McCall Bridges is a better fit alongside a talented offensive backcourt than Norman Powell. And of course, um, you know, Jay Crowder has a proven track record in the playoffs compared to Robert Covington, who for all his defensive talent, especially at, I know you said he's a great individual defender earlier. I would actually push back on that and say he actually struggles a little bit individually, but he is a phenomenal team defender and can come over and help and can switch and do all that helpful stuff in terms of scheme. Um, I think that that Aiton-Nurkic difference and having a true defensive anchor like Aiton has become in these playoffs is really the difference between the Blazers being in the second round and the Suns being knocked out by the Lakers. That's fair. Also having, I think the Suns' backcourt, their IQ is also significantly higher. Chris Paul is a higher IQ than Damian Lillard, even though he's not a even, better player. Yeah, it's not close. And and Devin sure. Booker is just a smarter and better player than McCollum. So having a leader like Chris Paul, who's really a second coach, can slow the game down, and a lot of other savvy vets on this team, I think it makes the Suns a really competitive win-now team, and the Blazers just don't seem to have it defensively. And like as we've said 50 times, and we'll probably say 50 times more before the playoffs are over. CJ McCollum's just not it. He's, no, in my opinion, he's not worth anything near thirty million dollars. Well, he had that broken foot earlier this year. He was having a career year before that. Like he was probably, if you, you know, stretched that first sixteen games out, he was probably like a second team All NBA kind of player, based on those numbers. Like alongside Kyrie, he was putting up that kind of production, um, but. He got hurt, and he came back looking pretty weak. So I would make the argument that he is a good third option, and that's hopefully where he can end up after this season. Definitely. That's fair. Let Um, us discuss the MVP. Wait. wait, One more thing. Would you pay Chris Paul three years $60 As the Suns or any other team. Yes. I would too. That was it. I'd pay him three ninety. I'd pay him thirty a year. I think that's fair. I mean, it's hard to say when he's gonna regress, but even if he does a little bit, it's not like he's putting up big scoring numbers anyways. Right. Stars win you games. Chris Paul in the playoffs. I don't care what people say about him not being in a finals. I don't care about he's gotten hurt a few times. He's a star. He's a superstar. He's a savvy vet. He knows what he's doing. I want him on my team. I would pay him three years, $90 million from the Suns to keep him with Booker, keep him coaching the rest of those guys easily. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad take. So, Yeah. All right, Mr. MVP time. By the yeah. way, anybody saying Steph Curry deserved the MVP, I'm not going to call you crazy. I'm just going to say that you're wrong. Because Nikola Jokic was so good the whole year, carried this team without Jamal Murray, shooting over 40% from three, averaging over eight and a half, nine assists, something crazy like that. He 100% deserved it. I don't think he missed a game all year. Props to that dude. He has been unbelievable. Like like Coach Pop said, Larry Bird-esque. Landon, why don't you expand on why you think Nikola Jokic, because we talked about this on the side, why you think he's so similar to Larry Bird, and just talk about his year this year. 
So, I mean, look, I wasn't alive for Larry Bird's days. I have, he's been my favorite, second favorite player ever behind Dwayne Wade for a very long time. And my thing with him and why it's so similar to Jokic is the unorthodox shot making and the passing vision. So, no, Larry Bird did not average 10 assists per game, but his vision of the floor and his ability to create strange passes like Jokic does, it, it, it he was on par with Magic Johnson in terms of floor vision. I don't care what you tell me about the assist numbers. What I'm telling you is I've watched enough Larry Bird tape and I've seen him, you know, dominate games enough to tell you that he had, you know, the same passing vision as the highest IQ guys in the game. And Jokic is one of those IQ guys. He sees the floor like LeBron and Chris Paul nowadays. They are, so, and Luka, those are probably the four best facilitators in the league today. And Jokic is just unguardable. He's insane. He has been unbelievable. Such an unorthodox guy, like you were saying. He can do everything. <laughs> I, I love him. You know, I've always been Team Jokic over Embiid. That's yeah, pretty much the, the big center debate. And he's only 26. He still has room to get better, which is crazy. Just really entering his prime the last couple of years. The Nuggets are in a weird spot because they have Murray and Jokic, who are both on 30-plus million-dollar deals. So they don't exactly have room for another max guy unless they pretty much dump MPJ. out every other... What? Porter Jr., he'll get a max. That's their thing. No, no, but but they can't bring in another max guy. They don't have the room for it. MPJ, well, they, they have his yeah, bird yeah. rights. They could, they could pay him. They my, just my don't question, even need to. That's my right. point. Well, what I'm saying now is the Nuggets really are in win-now mode based on their two stars, and Michael Porter Jr. is still a year or two away from really becoming an efficient third, second-slash-third option offensively. I, I He could be better than Jamal Murray one day. I wouldn't be shocked, but... Do you trade Michael Porter Jr. for a guy ready to drop 25 right now in hopes that you win a title now, or do you wait it out? I think you wait it out. Their their core three are young enough to where it's not a big deal. And my question would be, like, what the only guys that are worth that are, like, Kawhi and Paul George and those kind of 3 and D wings because they already have a point guard to handle the ball. And they already have a center who also handles the ball. So what you need is a shooter, ISO scorer kind of guy who is a lockdown wing defender. And there are, you know, maybe three, four of those guys in the league. And they're pretty much all untradeable except for Paul George, who might be on the block if they lose, if the Clippers lose one of these series. Right. Um, no, the Nuggets probably would have made the finals with Murray this year. And they could have been competitive with the Nets. I mean, that team would be ridiculous. They have so much depth. They would have had Jokic and Murray still being able to run pick and pops, which was how they defeated the Clippers last year. That team would have been ridiculous. And they can still put it together next year. Michael Porter Jr. will get better. If I were them, I would not make a single move with their core three. I would just keep all three of those guys together. So follow-up question, because this is – a team that we often omit from these talks, but you're totally right when you, I, I caught what you said and I started looking at this. Jamal Murray is 24. Nikola Jokic is 26. 
Michael Porter Jr. is 22. Is this the best young core in the league? Do they I mean, have the best future? I know Luka is oh. the best individual player, but right now, if you could be a fan of any rising team in terms of trying to predict who will have the most success in the next 10 years, is it the Denver Nuggets? I mean, if you're talking 10 years, then it's probably the Nuggets, yeah. I mean, it's just that it seems like Jokic is the kind of guy that'll just stay in Denver forever. Um, right. I feel like he's not that kind of like glory, you know, need to go to a big market kind of guy. And then Murray, kind of same deal. The Nuggets just have a great culture that they've built. And it seems like the guys love it there and they want to stay. And the fans are awesome. And Michael Malone is an intense, very thoughtful head coach. And I see, I called him Michael instead of Mike. Um, That's everybody's right. <laughs> been catching on to that. So look, yeah, I, I think it might be the Nuggets. I think they can really put together some championship level teams for at least, you know, Jokic's prime for the next six years or whatever. I agree. And let's just talk about their, their outlook this year. I personally have them losing in five now to the Suns. Do you agree with that? Um, God, the way Phoenix is playing, it's hard to see them losing one of these because the Nuggets just don't have enough without Jamal. And considering Barton is also down, there's just not enough perimeter shot creation. I think if they get Barton back and settled, because I know he, I'm pretty sure he played a few minutes last night, but it wasn't really meaningful. If they could get production out of Barton, then maybe I'll give him a game. But the point is, this series is heading south for them. Yeah. All righty. They'll be back next year, though. So let's move on. Until then, going to the last series of the first round, the best series of the first round, without a doubt, the Dallas Mavericks against the Los Angeles Clippers, which I think it was the first time ever, the first time in NBA history that the first six games went to the road team. It was. Yep. That is pretty crazy, and I guess it makes sense if it was ever going to happen. It'd be this year where they still have limited fans, and they, they're not able to sell out and, and really get that full home court edge. Right. But this series was unbelievable. Luka Doncic, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George was effective and ineffective at times, but that's Paul George. We know that now. So what are some of your biggest takeaways from this series? So the biggest takeaway I have is that there is an argument for Luka Doncic to be the best planet player on planet Earth right now. And I do not feel bad about that take. Just because he lost that series does not automatically mean Kawhi is better than him or Durant is better than him. What it means is that his team was really, really bad. If you're playing two seven-footers as twin towers that can't really play defense, you are in bad shape as an organization and a team. So right. he did everything in his power on efficient shooting, not terrible defense, to to put his team in the position to take that series, upset the Clippers, send NBA fandom into laughing for all eternity at, at the Clippers organization, and he was close. With that being said the Dallas Mavericks have a lot of moves to make in order to put a cohesive team around him. So would you say the Lakers three through 10 is similar 
and effectiveness and talent as the Mavericks three through ten? Uh no, I would say that the Mavericks is worse. Okay. So let's say instead you flip LeBron and Luca, you put Luca on the Lakers. Um, if Anthony Davis is healthy, like last year, is that the best team in the league? Is there any decline from LeBron to Luca? Like, cause that's really what you have to compare it to. I, I'm gonna go with no. I, I like I, I mean people say that LeBron is a good defender. I could not disagree anymore, but um, I don't care what the defensive numbers say. I'm not a defensive numbers guy. I I watch LeBron, and I hate the way that he plays defense. I hate the way that he will just argue for a call, not get back. I think that Luka, Luka has some of the same characteristics, honestly. He argues all the time and doesn't play defense sometimes. They are very similar players at this stage in both of their careers. I don't think there's any drop-off, no. So there you go. He's right up there. And there is a massive drop-off with Anthony Davis and Kristaps Porzingis, though. Huge. <laughs> that is exactly oh, why the Dallas Mavericks did not win this first-round series. Because if Kristaps Porzingis was playing like he did even last year in the playoffs, where he was very effective at times, if he was averaging 20-12, and 12, or 20-10 and 10 even, they win that series, hands down. Yep. He was the biggest letdown because I thought a lot of the role players in the Mavericks, Tim Hardaway Jr., Dorian Finney-Smith, Boban Marjanovic, they were pretty effective, played their roles well, hit shots, not Boban, of course, but no. hit shots. And Porzingis is that guy who's glaring out at $30 million, putting up 8 to 12 points a game shooting 35-40%, it's not good enough. It's nowhere near good enough, and he is the reason why they lost this series. Yeah, I, I, I'm I, not a big Porzingis guy, never was. I thought he was fine. He's very injury-prone. And him on the Knicks was a different story because then he was explosive and could dunk on people and was just a threat in more ways than he is now. Now he's just kind of floating around he's kind of soft he doesn't like taking guys in the post he's even if he does he's not efficient in the post he just has a lot of issues as a player and I agree he is for sure the reason they lost that series I don't really have any more in the Mavericks I'm really interested on your thoughts on the Clippers ready to flip sides here I guess the one so Tim Hardaway Jr was absolutely amazing in that series. The Mavericks should keep him if they can at not too high of a number because it's weird. He's not technically a good third option, but because Luka is so good, he can function as a third option just because of the shots that he gets due to Luka's brilliance. So let's say that the New York Knicks say, we want you back, Tim. Three years, $60 million. If you're the Mavericks, do you compete with that offer or do you let him walk? It depends what you can do with Porzingis because you don't want to bring back the same exact crew. But if you can make enough changes, like, you know, flipping Chris Stapps for, I don't know, another player that isn't that good but can help, and then it opens up, you know, then you have two max contracts with Luca and this other guy, and your only option is to give. 20 to Hardaway, then yeah, I think you do it. But if you can't trade Porzingis, you might want to think about letting him walk. Yeah, I think it's tough. I, I think I would side with 
pay him. He's especially the last two years. Hardaway has been a really good three point shooter and having that around Luca and really being his secondary scorer. The thing with Luca is he's that ball dominant. You don't need a second scorer necessarily better than Hardaway. You just need other guys That's who can shoot exactly. and play defense. Exactly. So I think he's a great second scoring option, not second best player, but if they can get, like I, I've been saying this for a while, they can get Pascal Siakam, who only needs to put up 16 points a game, but play good defense, drive, collapse the defense, be more of a, a playmaker and a facilitator along with a good defender. Tim Hardaway could very well be the second leading scorer on a championship Mavericks, Mavericks team because Luka's going to put up 40, 10, and 10. Yeah, he will. Um, I'm looking forward to Luka's future. But Definitely. I think I'm good for the Clippers now. Let's start on them. All righty. Kawhi Leonard. Unbelievable. Still underrated. I, I see I see tweets. I see TikTok saying he's between five and seven in the world. At what point are we going to stop disrespecting the guy who's putting up 30-plus points a game, playing elite defense on 60% shooting? I mean, come on. Who else can do this? Not very Dur- many people. Just Durant. It's him and Durant. Yeah. That's it. And both of those guys are are 100% top five players. There is, I don't think you can argue it a different way. You just no, can't. No, it's, it's hard to because it's not even just this year. Kawhi is just, like I was saying, Donovan Mitchell is a playoff performer. Kawhi is a playoff performer. He, yeah, he messes around in the regular season. He load manages and everything. But when it's time to go, he is ready to go, and he will give you 30 a game. It's not even a question shooting really well right so the clippers maybe are the maybe outside of the lakers are the most veteran team in the league they seem to only be made up of role players who have been around for a while they have terrence mann and luke Kennard who play here and there but pretty much the majority of this team have playoff experience just overall nba experience you have guys like rondo nick batum so like they're a weird team because they have the star power, but could you see the Clippers competing with the Brooklyn Nets this year? No, no, not based on what we've seen from the Clippers during the Mavs series, during the first game of the Utah series, during the Nuggets series last year. They have not shown any resiliency as a group. They haven't shown that they like playing together, that Kawhi hasn't seemed to like enjoy his role with them as much I I don't know whatever it is I feel like that's not a scary team despite having two really good three and d wings who are also iso scorers and stars Um, they should be a lot better than they are they should instill fear in their opponents and they are not intimidating whatsoever yeah. The last thing I'll say on that is when you get two switchable wing stars, I think the assumption by everybody when they came together was that that defense should be one of you know the better ones we've seen just ever because of those two guys' abilities on the defensive end. And then when you add Marcus Morris, another switchable wing, and Terrence Mann, a switchable wing, like this defense should be locking down and right. everything's porous. It's just easy to score on them at times. Yeah. There's there's two big reasons why I don't think they're playing as well, nearly as well defensively or offensively as they should be. They should be the best team in the West 
with who's left, without a doubt. They should uh, be. On paper, they are. But one is Serge Ibaka being hurt. That was going to be a valuable member of this team. Probably the starting big man who can shoot 40% from three is also their best interior defender, shot blocker. So losing Ibaka and not having him for pretty much the whole year, it's definitely a loss. If he comes back and plays well, they may be on the next level. Second, of course, is Paul George, who's been very inconsistent, and we know time and time again he's not going to come up clutch because he hasn't done it the last three, four years. So, Lennon, if if Paul George was subbed out for Devin Booker and Donovan Mitchell, somebody who in the regular season we would say is similar talent-wise, or even Jason Tatum, these guys who are right outside the top 10 in terms of talent and ranking in the league, how much more confidence do you have of any of those three guys are on this team instead of Paul George? Far more. I mean, God, the mentality is just so different. When you watch Donovan Mitchell, when he hits a bucket, he goes insane. Like, he, he is one of the most electric players to watch in the league. And you put him on that team, it changes the atmosphere. He's just a player you can believe in. And Paul George has shown time and time and again that you can't believe in him. And when right. you... When you put him next to Kawhi, who's another guy that just like you need to believe in, he's he went on that Raptors run that just shook the world, especially Canada, and I, I just I just don't have any trust in Paul George to get the job done when he needs to. Absolutely. So that's the real problem. They're really good on paper. The problem is their second best player on paper does not play like he should at all. His paper stats and his paper name look way better than Pandemic P, which we've seen in the last two postseasons. And that is a huge issue right now, not just going forward, but they are not going to beat the Utah Jazz unless Paul George is consistent and reliable. I agree. It's a similar thing with Porzingis because that's another big name that the Mavs traded for, and he doesn't produce like a second option should. It's really the same thing. And I saw something the other day. I believe it was the most playoff games shooting under 25% or something along those lines. Uh, It might have just been for stars. I don't remember all of the exact qualifications. But the point was, there were a bunch of old guys who took bad shots and, of course, were inefficient with them because they, like, barely had worked on their jumper and knew about the game of basketball when they started playing and then it's Paul George and Russell Westbrook. (laughs) And it's just so ugly because PG has such a smooth stroke and he gets into his shots so nicely. Whatever he's doing always looks like it should be, you know, like smooth. And then it ends up hitting the side of the backboard or more times than not, just not being on target despite the talent that we know he has. So I predicted um, before this first game against the Jazz that Paul George would go 3-for-16 and score 16 points. He went 4-for-17. I was one shot off. Wow. Scored 20 points. I was really close. It's just like Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker are not going to play like that. Jason Tatum's not going to play like that. Guys that I have ranked right around Paul George are way better than Paul George. And I think that's just a testament to the type of player Paul George is now in clutch time. He's just not hes not there anymore. I don't have confidence in him being a second option on a championship team. 
that's just what it is. No, he's not in my top 15 players in the league. He might not be in my top 20. And you know what's crazy? Huh? Like, like at this point, if you swap him and Trey Young, the Clippers are way better with Trey Young. I don't even think it's way better. It's not way better. That's an issue. Yeah, been an issue. Yeah, no, I I agree. He's not an amazing playmaker. There's just he doesn't do that many things that well. And if he's not shooting great, that's his primary. You know, that's what he's most useful doing. And he doesn't do that in the playoffs that much. So no, it the Clippers are probably not going to make the finals, and it will probably be primarily because Paul George isn't that good. Absolutely. So if you're Kawhi Leonard, yes or no answer. Do you leave this year? I think you leave if you lose before the finals. Even in that the wasn't a yes or no. finals. Well, no. Yes or no. It, no, yes it, de- or it no. depends. It depends. What do you mean? How can I say that now? What if they win the championship? I, how can you say it? It's because I asked you to say it. That's how. No, nah, no. Nah. Yeah, it totally depends on how far they go. He should leave. Unless he has this obsession with staying in L.A., there is zero basketball reason why he should stay. Well, he should that's not stay. Not entirely true because if they win the championship, then he has a lot of reasons. They're not to going stay. to win the championship. He's locked I agree, in but what if they do? Five years of Paul George, who apparently isn't good anymore in the playoffs, they're not going to win the title. They're not. The Brooklyn Nets are, have already won the NBA championship. You can mark me down and give me as much crap as you want for being one hundred percent wrong, but the Nets have already won the title. Nobody's beating them. It's not going to be close. The Clippers are losing to the Jazz. Kawhi should leave. Um, my issue with that kind of take is people said the same thing about Miami in 2010 when they lost, or sorry, 2011 when they lost to the Mavericks. And when you see these teams come together, sometimes they're just not ready to win in the finals specifically. So... <laughs> I think it's really easy to say that now. I'm sure people said it about the big three heat and other, you know, look big time squads that were put together. But this is this if you want to say this is different, it's not different. It's the same. We don't know till we get there. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> it's different because LeBron James at the time didn't have any experience. He hasn't won a ring yet. Kevin Durant's already won. Kyrie Irving's already won. They are three unbelievable individual scorers who already are not playing against the Lakers. Probably the biggest threat to them. Okay, I don't think any team could stand in their way. It's it's not it's not like one of these big time Nets players is going to be horrible in the playoffs. I just I'm going to completely happen. contradict that by saying that D Wade had already won at that point, and while the Nets organization has never won a championship, the Heat had already won one at that point. So you could argue that the organization, the coaching staff was all experienced and part of a winning organization. Whereas this Nets team is brand new. Their coach is new and they just, they've never won before. So like there are definitely counterpoints to make both ways. Sure. Sure. But they're going to win the title. (laughs) I I agree. I think they're going to, they just haven't won it yet, which is what I said. All right. All right. They've won. They've already won. No, (laughs) but all right. All right. That's it. Right. That's the last series. That is all. So we will, Probably come back with our next pod discussing round two, probably in the middle. A few days from now, we will start going over how the first few games of each series has played out. 
and what we think those games show and indicate towards the rest of the series and towards the rest of the postseason. But for now, thank you guys for listening. As always, stay tuned for more pods coming out in the near future. Keep checking Instagram and Twitter. Respond, comment, go to our website. We want to hear from you about your opinions on the playoffs, and we want to implement them into what we do on the Towel Bowls. Always remember to embrace your inner towel boy.